Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it never changes. Our understanding of it can grow and shift and increase, but your word and its truth are forever. So I pray, Lord, open your heart, our hearts to you, open our spirits to your word, fill us with your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, work in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So for the last couple of years, I have talked about at various times that we're living increasingly in an outrage culture. Things are, decisions are made by who is the most offended. And there's even a little, there's even a little fridge magnet on a refrigerator that says, just because you're offended, it doesn't mean you're right. Just remember that. In the last couple of weeks, as we've been talking about some of the trials that Jesus was facing in that last 24 hours in his life, we've been focusing on the, on the idea that it's, it's force of character that's stronger than force of arms, but that we tend to respond by either flight or fleeing when we run into crisis situations. We want to respond by force of arms, and if we don't feel that our force of arms is strong enough, we'll run away. I say all these things because... Um, I don't know if you watched the Academy Awards. Um, but i got to at least comment on this because it's so germane. People think that I like the Academy Awards because I love movies. I really don't care about the Academy Awards, but this one was interesting. Um, so Chris Rock uh, was a presenter because, you know, he's edgy and humorous, and they hired him to be edgy and humorous. And so he came out and was edgy and humorous, and he made fun of Jada Pinkett Smith's shaved head which was ill-considered, um, in part because she shaved her head for health concerns. She has alopecia, and she's been losing her hair, and so she shaved her head because she's self-conscious about having lost her hair. But, I mean, it's just a joke, right? This is literally what he's paid for, so it's no big deal, right? So it was tacky. It was inappropriate. It was publicly shaming her. But it was funny, and that's the important thing, right? Well, Will, Will Smith, Jada's husband, I don't know if you've heard, <laughs> it's in my newsfeed above Ukraine. Will Smith got up on stage and smacked him, slapped him right across the face, knocked him back, went back to his chair, said, keep my wife's name out of your, expletive deleted, mouth. Said it a couple of times. The world became instantly divided <laughs> between those who are like, well, he's just, he's taking care of his wife. That's him. Chivalry is not dead. It is Will Smith. And those who said, that is toxic masculinity at its best. Look at that. It's horrible. Look what he just did. I mean, it was just a joke, right? And then he comes up and he, well, it is assault and battery, isn't it? And you kind of have a public record of it. So who was Right. Chris Rock for doing what they paid him to do? Or Will Smith for taking care of his wife? Which one? I'm looking for an answer. Neither one! It's a false dichotomy if you have to choose one or the other. You go, I'm, I'm going to vote C. I'm sorry, neither one. It's not appropriate to rip somebody down just because it's funny. It's not appropriate. It's possible he didn't know he has been completely oblivious for the last year when she's been on talk shows and, and blogging about how self-conscious she is about her head. It's possible he didn't know. He's still ripping somebody down in public. That's not cool. And I'm going to vote that 
smacking somebody because they offended you is not appropriate. It's just not. I know he said, I was emotional. I assumed. (laughs) Actually, you know what? I said C. No. The answer is D. Who was right? Denzel. Denzel Washington got up out of his chair, walked over to Will Smith and said, we need to pray. He said, how could I not? Later he's like, how could I not get up and pray? He's like, of course I got to pray. And he's like, he's like, you need to be aware Satan is, is, is nipping at your heels. This is inappropriate. This was not the right thing to do. And you cannot go there. You cannot. You're going to pray with me right now. And he prayed with him at the Oscars. When was the last time you saw somebody praying at the Oscars with other people? Denzel said, oh, this is neither a a time for flight or fight. This is an opportunity to be an ambassador for force of character. Now you might be, if you're paying attention to the context, going, oh, it's a sermon. It's not not actually about Will Smith. He's talking about Jesus. Technically the Denzel one. but, But I'm talking about Peter. Remember Peter? Because he was so emotional. I'm willing to go attack somebody because they're coming at somebody I care about. And Jesus is like, what? You don't care about me at all. You're disregarding everything that's important to me because you're so emotional about it. I'm, I'm talking about Caiaphas. So emotional that he goes to the Sanhedrin, which is all about keeping the law. And they break the law by having a midnight kangaroo court where they bring in what they know are false bribed witnesses. Because it's so important to him that he utterly disregards the God he says he's caring about. I'm talking about Jesus, who is so emotional, he's weeping and literally sweating blood and says, not what I want, but Lord, what honors you? I want to make sure that I... I don't respond by slapping back and I don't respond by running away. I respond like a rock by standing. And I will not be moved. They can attack me. I won't attack back. They can attack me. I won't run away. They can attack me. But I won't change. And I'm talking about Pilate. Remember where we left Pilate last week? Pilate's been talking to Jesus. Actually, Pilate got like woken up at the crack of dawn. He's like, why are you people waking me up? The chief priests, the Sanhedrin, they're coming and waking him up and pressuring him into questioning Jesus because they said he's an insurrectionist. He's, he's a revolutionary against Rome. So in Luke 23, Pilate says, okay, Jesus, so what? You're like a king of the Jews? Is that your deal? You're king of the Jews. And Jesus said, yeah, that's what you just said. Oh, seriously? He said, yeah. I'm not going to deny it. Yeah. I'm not going to tell them that. They, they're not going to listen. But no, I'm not going to deny it. In John 18, though, he clarifies. He said, now, let me make sure you understand. My kingdom is not of this world. I mean, if it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. You know, the way the world tends to. Keep my wife's name out of your expletive deleted mouth. Whack! That's what it would be. No, we're not like that at all. My kingdom is from another place. If anything, if anything, I have kept my followers from doing that. 
When one of my followers actually drew a sword, I was like, oh, put that away. Stop that. That's not what we're doing. I don't really care which king wears which crown in this place because it's all broken. That's not what I came here for. So in Luke 23, Pilate announced to the chief priests in the crowd, okay, I, I don't see a reason for a charge against this guy. It's just, it's all just internal squabbles amongst Jewish people. As long as you people pay your taxes and don't start riots, I don't care. I really don't care. I mean, Rome was forever propping up puppet leaders, right? Governors here, kings there, like Herod Antipas, the the son of Herod the Great that's like ruling a quarter of the kingdom up in rural Galilee. It's not like they liked Herod Antipas. It's not even like Pilate did. We know that Pilate didn't like him. They chafed with each other. They were vying for resources. They didn't like each other. But Rome said "Eh, they need to have some illusion of self-governance. And as long as Herod Antipas, pampered little twerp though he is, As long as he makes the trains run on time and everybody pays their taxes, we're fine. We're absolutely fine with that. Fine. Be in power. So in Matthew 27, when Jesus was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. And he even explained last week why. He's like, they're they're not going to listen, right? Even if I explained it in detail, they're not going to listen. They don't care about the truth. They're not looking for the truth. It's like teaching a pig to dance, right? It wastes your time and it annoys the pig. Why would I try to explain this to them? It's a waste of my time, and it's just going to torque them off. It's pointless. So in Luke 23, the Jewish leaders insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee. He's come all the way here. And on hearing that Pilate asked, hearing that, Pilate said, wait, wait, is this guy Galilean? Why? As soon as they said, ever since he started in Galilee, he's like, whoa, ding, 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 time, time, time. He's from Galilee? Why? He doesn't like the other guy. What? He's not my problem. Wait. What's great is Herod Antipas happens to be in Jerusalem at the moment. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to deal with this whole stinking mess. I never liked Herod to begin with. Technically, it's in his jurisdiction. I'm done. I'm over. Wash my hands of this. I have nothing more to do with this, right? That works, doesn't it? Now Pilate has nothing more to do with it. I'm done. I'm going to send him off to Herod. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he'd been wanting to see him. Remember Herod had been interested in John the Baptist, right? He's like, oh, John is cool. I love listening to these kind of guys. John's a nut. John was even preaching against Herod. He's preaching against his marriage to Herodias. Do you remember how that... Well, okay. Funky little teaching moment. Um, Herod the Great, his granddaughter, Herodias... He married her off to his son, Herod Philip, her uncle. And, yeah, I know. You can, you, go ahead and you. Uh, So she was married to her uncle. But she divorced him because he lost all of his political prospects. He went off to Rome, lived as a private citizen. And so she bedded his brother, Herod Antipas, also her uncle. Because he had at least some prospects. I mean, he had Galilee, he had a crown. I mean, it was a tinfoil crown that he made himself, but it's a crown, Um, and it was her daughter, Salome, who would be Herod Antipas's niece and, uh, and his grand niece and his daughter, all of them. It was her that he got so turned on about that he ended up murdering John the Baptist for. 
that's Herod, okay? I'm trying to give you a sense of the person you're dealing with here. That's the classy act. That this, amazingly, when you live that kind of Stars Channel, CW Channel lifestyle as a family, you know, hopping beds, disregarding ethics and morality, it ends badly. Go figure. When you utterly disregard a moral core, you feel kind of empty. Bad things keep happening. Bad relationships keep happening. Damage is done. Scars are, it's, it's a bad thing. And you tend to fall deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole. Because, as we talked last week, rock bottom gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Well, when Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased. For a long time, he wanted to see him. Could it just be a lark, some great morning fun, to have some kind of holy magic man do some magic tricks for you, wouldn't it? Hey, check this out. This is great. From what he'd heard about Jesus, he'd hoped to see him perform some miracle. Turn some apples into gold or something. Whatever it is holy men do to get people's attention. Yeah, go, do. Yay. Herod. He plied him with many questions. Jesus gave him no answer. Why? He didn't want to do tricks like a dog, you know? That, and he, this is yet another pig that I'd be teaching to dance. Do you really think Herod's going to go, ooh, you make some interesting theological arguments. I feel, I feel persuaded and convicted. Possibly, probably not, though. Plus, we're told, specifically, that the chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. And if he wasn't going to answer them in the Sanhedrin, why is he going to do this in front of Herod? Why would he do that? Plus, as much fun as, you know, magic holy men are, religious people ruin every party. So these guys, I mean, Herod's like, do fun things, make a pony. And, and all the religious people standing there going, he is breaking this commandment and this, this verse and this verse. And Herod's like, I, know, I break all of them. I don't care. I just want a pony. So Herod gets disgusted. And he got to find fun somewhere when you're having a party. So Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked Jesus because you got to find fun where you can. And they dressed him in an elegant robe and sent him back to Pilate. I don't know what an elegant robe is. Oh, the wording is interesting. Maybe it's uh, got all sorts of stars and moons on it and crescents and things like a good magician should be wearing. Man, pointy hat. I don't know. It also might be a really nice robe. He might be trying to stick it to Caiaphas. Like, you know, oh, you don't like him? Okay, give him a really nice rub. I don't know. But whatever it is, disregarded the whole thing, sent him back, said, I don't know what to do with him. And that day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they'd been enemies. I love that. They bonded over the fact that they're both like, I don't know what to do with him. Wait, Caiaphas doesn't like him? I kind of like him then. Neither of them like Caiaphas. This whole situation is not rational enough for Pilate, and it's not fun enough for Herod. So both of them turn to look at the other one and go, I know, right? Wait, you too? Oh, cool. We actually agree on something. <laughs> Caiaphas is an idiot. So Pilate called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, okay, you brought me this man as one who is inciting the people to rebellion. Clearly that's not happening, right? He's not inciting people against Rome. I investigated him. He's not doing it, and that's all I care about. I've examined him in your presence. I've found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, because he sent him back to me. And let's be honest, if Herod and I are agreeing on anything, that's significant. And we agree we don't like you, Caiaphas. Verse 
At the very least, as you can see, he's done nothing to deserve death. So I'll tell you what, I'm going to punish him, I'm going to release him. And, and, and if you say, wow, that's really lenient of him. Pontius Pilate, as we said before, is a rotten human being. He's in Judea because he's a rotten human being. He's torqued off all the wrong people in Rome. But we're told in several Gospels, including Mark's here, that it's the custom at the Passover feast to release a prisoner that the people requested. It's a way for Rome to remind everybody that Rome is, you know, a nice conqueror. We've conquered your kingdom, but we're nice about it. So, yes, we torture you and, and enslave you and imprison you, but once a year we'll toss somebody back out in the street. And everybody knows that Rome is nice. Now, a man named Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who'd committed murder in the uprising. Get back to that. Remember those crimes, though. There's a known murderer, depending on how you want to say that, possibly of his own people, but absolutely an insurrectionist. Okay? Keep that in mind. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do what he usually did for them. He's like, okay, well, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews guy? You know, remember, king of the Jews. Knowing that's out of envy that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to them. And he didn't, didn't like the chief priest. So he's like, okay, since they're doing this out of envy, I'm going to call him king of the Jews because Caiaphas will hate that. But he's, he's doing it sarcastically. He doesn't really think that. Matthew 27, we're told that Pilate said, so which one do you want me to, I love this, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who's called the Christ, that Messiah guy? Who, 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 do, you, who do you want? Now, we're not given the impression necessarily that Rome gave people choices every year. It's just people would come and ask for him to release somebody. But Pilate chose the two people he wanted to suggest to them. There's... Jesus, king of the Jews, whom a lot of you people have called Messiah. I remember last week, you know, there was all these palm fronds going on. That guy. Or Barabbas, who's got like one eye in the center of his forehead and tusks and is dragging his knuckles against the ground going, ah, kill everyone. That guy. Which? This guy? Or slathering murderous gorilla? Or this guy, who I actually am beginning to almost like a little bit. Or this guy, who is currently gnawing on his chains. Which one do you want me to release to you. I love that he chooses these guys. Because he's like, this Jesus guy is charged with insurrection, but both Pilate and Herod both know he's done nothing. He's totally innocent. So, guys, if your problem really is with Jesus being an insurrectionist, he's not. We've investigated it. He's not. We all know that he's not. And if your problem is that Jesus is an insurrectionist, which he's not, then there's no way you're going to pick Barabbas, right? He, he's wearing a down-with-Rome-kill-everyone t-shirt. He's got I'm a murderer tattooed on his forehead. He is not a nice person. If your problem really is, well, we don't like insurrectionists around here, there's no way you're ever going to release Barabbas. I picked the worst example of scum and villainy that I could possibly find. So it's clearly a litmus test. It's like, I want to know what, if any, truth there is to any of this. If the people choose Jesus, yay, again, wash my hands, I'm done. If they choose Barabbas, and why would they? Nobody's going to choose Barabbas. Then clearly it's all just a total sham. Besides that, very next verse tells us, while Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, because I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. 
God's been giving me these horrible dreams about doing what we're doing to this guy. Could God toss out any more clues to Pilate that you want nothing to do with this whole stinking mess? Don't do it. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. It's like, are you kidding me? I'm sorry, which one? Which of the two do you want me to release to you? He asked. Barabbas, they answered. He's like, you're crazy. You're all nuts. There's no, there's, there's no reasoning with the crowd here. So in John chapter 19, verse 1, Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And we've talked about this, haven't we? Flogging is not just a beating. Flogging is not just a whipping. Flogging is peeling flesh from bones. Flogging is beating to the point where he's left 180 pounds of hamburger. Flogging is rough. It's one of the rougher things that they could possibly do. So he's like, I'm going to have him flogged. And then taking a cue from Herod, the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they clothed him with a purple robe like, like a king would wear. And they went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they had struck him in the face. As much humiliation as Roman law allowed these soldiers to heap on Jesus. Whether or not he was humiliated, that's up to Jesus, right? They can do humiliating things to him. That doesn't mean that Jesus was humiliated. Because he knew who he was beaten to a pulp, innocent, but still beaten to a pulp because the mob wanted to see it. I'm sorry. (laughs) Do I actually have to say how applicable this still is to our modern context in America? Beat somebody to a pulp because the mob said so? Because the mob said, he might be guilty, she might be guilty, let's destroy her. I don't have to be a Republican or a Democrat to talk about how the other side my own side our sides do that public opinion offense outrage that's what decides truth once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews okay look I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him but I beat him within an inch of his life he's standing here a bloody mess in a blood-soaked robe with a thorn of crown stuck into his head. But I find no problems with him. There's nothing wrong with him. There's no charge against him. And when Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here's the man, ecce homo. He wasn't being profound. I heard a whole sermon one time on, behold the man. And he wasn't being obnoxious. Yeah, if anything, he's saying, look what we did to him. Isn't this enough? Look at him. Are you really concerned that this is a guy who's going to become king? I mean, he's standing there, beaten, bloodied. He's he's a worker. He's a carpenter. He's a stonemason, a tecton. We don't know. He works with his hands. He's a strong man. And he's beaten and bloodied and standing here, barely able to stand on his own. Isn't that enough? Isn't that enough? I mean, look at him. The people go, no. You know why? Because it's never enough. I don't even have to say, for Christians to deal with, for Jesus to... 
It's never enough. If you hate, it will never be enough. There will never be enough to fill the hate hole in your heart. If you hate, no amount of anything will ever have you go, okay, now we're cool. It's never enough. How much more when you're looking at somebody who truly is the king of kings? When you're looking at somebody who everything you know about him is he truly is pure. We had to lie to get him on that dais. We're the ones at fault. Every time I look at him, I see a mirror showing my lies, my false witnesses, my breaking the law, my sin. I know full well that this guy's innocent. It will never be enough. Wanting to release Jesus, we're told in Luke's gospel. Pilate appealed to them again. He's like, I want to let him go. Mark tells us, he says, what shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Does he look like a king? Does he really? What do you want me to do? Isn't that enough? Luke says, he says, they they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For a third time he spoke to them, why? And it's not because Pilate is some great righteous warrior. He's like, no, I will stand up for truth. He's just like, this is so messed up, even I can't gag it down. I'm a corrupt, obnoxious Roman official thrust into Judea because I was too violent in my other posts. And even I am saying, are you kidding me? There has to be some law. Why? What crime has this man committed? I found him in, in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I'm just going to have him punished more. I guess this isn't enough. He's basically a puddle and still not enough for you. You're right. There's still some flesh left on his ribs. We'll take that off next. Something. I'll punish him some more and then release him. I don't care that you chose Barabbas. Fine, I'll release them both. I don't care. But this is nuts. And I'm the peacekeeper here in Rome. John chapter 19, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him! You crucify him! I'm not doing it! As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. I wash my hands of it. No, I'm not doing it. No! I want an end to the whole stinking mess. But the Jews insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. And when Pilate heard that, he was even more afraid, which is interesting phraseology. It doesn't say he was afraid. It said he was more afraid. Because this whole time, he hasn't been being righteous. He hasn't been being strong. He's been terrified. He's a frightened little man. He's frightened of Rome. He's frightened of the mob. He's frightened of Jesus. He's frightened. You go, but he's got all the soldiers. He's got the Praetorian. He's the Roman guy. He's got Roman stuff. He's Rome. And he's afraid. He's a petty little man wrapping it in big, loud noises. But hearing that, he's even more afraid because, in part, because the emperor is divine, right? The former emperor, Caesar Augustus, had even called himself the son of God. How well is it going to go over if Jesus calls himself the Son of God? The new emperor, Tiberius, kind of clamped down on the whole imperial cult thing. In fact, there's only one, he only allowed it in one, um, in one temple, in one place in the entire Roman Empire. He's like, fine, fine, fine. We'll have one imperial cult temple. But I don't want any imperial cult honors. Don't call me a god. And there will be a grand total of one temple. How's Tiberius going to appreciate it? To hear that 
Pilate lets some Jew call himself the son of God, when Tiberius doesn't even take that honor for himself anymore. It's also got to be something nagging in Pontius Pilate, just nagging. There are a lot of Roman myths about demigods, about gods come down to man in power, and you didn't recognize it. And this Jesus had been doing miracles. And his wife said, the gods are giving me these horrible dreams. Because the very next time, we're told here, Pilate, even more afraid, went back inside the palace and looked at Jesus and said, where'd you come from? He already knew he was Galilean. So what's he asking? Who are you? What are you, really? Are you? Are you a son of the gods? What are you? What have I stepped into? What is going on here? Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me now, Pilate? We had a whole chat before. Not Nothing? Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Fight or flight, man. These are my only options. Don't you understand? And Jesus goes, you don't understand. You would have no power over me at all if it weren't already given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. That would be Caiaphas. But you labor under a false assumption that you have any actual power here at all. You think you guys overpowered me in Gethsemane? You guys think you humiliated me before Herod and you humiliated me when you beat me? Do you really think that my perception has changed since I told Peter, don't you realize I could call down 12 legions of angels? I could wipe Rome off the map? That hasn't changed. You have no power here except what God is using you as a tool to accomplish. Everything that you're afraid of, Pilate, losing control, afraid that I might be a son of God, everything you're afraid of, you should be. You're right. You have no control and I am the son of God. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. He's like, I really, really, really don't want to touch this. I want it gone. But the Jews kept shouting, if you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar, which is, by the way, an official industry term back in the Roman Empire, friend of Caesar. All the close ones are friends of Caesar. Pilate is already kind of on the, on the outs to be told, that's it, you're no friend of Caesar. He's like, oh, man. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. If you're Pilate, do you fear the crowd? Do you fear God? Do you fear Caesar? If you're making decisions based on fear and outrage, who do you fear the most? When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down at the judge's seat in a place called the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is called Gabbatha. It's interesting. It means the elevated place. So he comes and takes Jesus to an elevated place. It was the day of the preparation of the Passover week, at the, about the, the sixth hour, about three o'clock in the afternoon. He says, here's your king, he said to the Jews. How many, how many times now has Pilate said that? I mean, jokingly. 
because he doesn't like Caiaphas. Because he just burbles out because he's afraid. Because he doesn't know what else to call him. How many times has he called him publicly king of the Jews? A lot. Several times. He has repeatedly called him king of the Jews. He has repeatedly, publicly declared him absolutely innocent of everything. He has robed him. He has crowned him. He has now placed him in an elevated place and publicly declared him king of the Jews. God used even somebody as messed up as Pontius Pilate to share nine-tenths of the gospel message. Nine-tenths of the gospel message. And he's a twerp. What can we do as ambassadors of the kingdom? How much does God have to poke us in the side before we actually say stuff or do stuff or live like this? What kind of force of character do we want to show? He's like, hey, here's your king. Because Jesus neither fought nor fled. He just stood his ground and spoke truth. Here's your king, Pilate said to the Jews. And they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. He said, shall I crucify your king? How many times has he said it? He's going to say it at least another time. He's going to document it. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Apparently not even God. Because in Judea, God's supposed to be king. Matthew's gospel tells us that when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, instead an uproar was starting, a riot, the very thing he's supposed to be stopping, he took water and literally this time washed his hands in front of the crowd. He said, I am innocent of this man's blood. It's your responsibility. Like that works, right? Because this time he really isn't in charge And all the people answered, still one of the scariest sentences I've ever heard anybody say in all of history. He says, it's your responsibility. And they answered, let his blood be on us and on our children. If he's innocent, then may the guilt of his blood be all over all of us for all of posterity. And yet, didn't God turn that into a into a blessing if he's innocent may the guilt of his blood be on us and our posterity God said if he's innocent may the blood of his innocence cover over your sins for you and all of your posterity even God God used Pontius Pilate to speak the gospel God used their self-cursing to bless God kept being sovereign in all of this And Pilate released Barabbas frothing at the mouth to them. But they had Jesus flogged some more and handed him over to be crucified. And that's where we'll pick it up next. But in the meantime, what do you do with this? What do you do with this? Do you tumble farther and farther down a given rabbit hole? Do you say, well, I was emotional. Somebody, Somebody said something to me, so I had to smack him back. Somebody did this, so I had to do this. Do we run away because things are scary? Do we attack because things are scary? Do we try to wash our hands of things because things are scary? Which person do you want to emulate? Peter? Quack, quack, quack. Caiaphas? I don't care about the law anymore. I don't care what's right or wrong. I just care about what feathers my nest. Pilate? I want to wash my hands of it. I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared. They're all scared. One person in all of this isn't scared. And he doesn't want to be there. He's not looking forward to it. 
But he's not scared. We don't want to run away from a broken world and we don't want to attack it for being broken. What we want to do is emulate Jesus and say, y'all broken. That's why I'm reaching out to you. And unlike Jesus, we say, because I'm broken too. I'm broken, you're broken, we're broken. Let's mend. Let's let God mend us. Let's have Christ's heart in this. Because we're broken. I want to show force of character. Not force of strength. Force of character. Not force of arms. Force of character. Picked on Will Smith a little bit at the beginning, so I should probably come back and say this. On Friday, he asked himself to be... um, released from the academy. He's like, before you guys have to decide whether or not to kick me out of the academy or not, I'll resign my own time in the academy. And he wrote, I'll fully accept any and all consequences for my conduct. My actions were shocking, painful, inexcusable. The list of those I've hurt is long and includes Chris, my family, many of my dear friends, loved ones, those in attendance, global audiences. I betrayed the trust of the academy. I deprived other nominees and winners of their opportunity to celebrate and be celebrated for their extraordinary work because everybody's just talking about this. I'm heartbroken, and I want to put the focus back on those who deserve attention for their achievements. So I'm resigning from membership in the Academy, and I will accept any further consequences that the board seems appropriate. Change takes time, and I'm committed to doing the work and to ensure that I never again allow violence to overtake reason. That shows some character, doesn't it? And if you want to say, well, that's the best way to keep himself out of getting in trouble, it still shows character. It shows character, and I respect that. I can't help but think that maybe other Christians, Tyler Perry, Denzel Washington, that came up and talked to him say, you know, let me tell you, this isn't the way to look at this. This isn't the way to act. This isn't the way to do this. I hope Will finds himself to the Lord. Even through this. Because at its core, our job is to be ambassadors of someplace better, deeper, richer, paradise. And that eternity starts right now. Yesterday. So I want to live like that today. Don't you want to live like that today? Let's show grace. Let's live in grace. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you. I thank you so much that you've given us such a great example. You've given us examples of what not to do, but you've also given us such great examples of what to do. Thank you, Lord, for your heart lived out in front of us. Help us, Lord, never to give in to fear, to give in to violence, to give in to hate. Help us, especially in moments of crisis, to trust your judgment, to trust your wisdom, to trust your grace. Be glorified by how we live every day. In Jesus' name, amen.